Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. Well, today we're going to be looking at a passage in John's Gospel. Uh, Let me encourage you, if you have a Bible, go and grab one so we can look at it together. Um, And John was one of uh, Jesus' first disciples, and he writes an account of Jesus' life, uh, his teachings, his death, his resurrection. He had the privilege of spending three years with Jesus, not, not just listening to his teachings, but getting to know Jesus up close and personal. You know, thousands and thousands of people got to witness the public life of Jesus. But got, John got to witness the Jesus when the crowds had gone home, the Jesus behind closed doors, the, the Jesus on the evenings and the weekends. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, John records for us one of the final things that he witnesses Jesus do, surrounded by his disciples before his arrest, his death and his resurrection. And it gives us a breathtaking insight into his character, the depths of his love, the extent of his humility. But on top of giving us a greater revelation of who Jesus is and what he was like, we're going to see in this passage a concrete example of the life Jesus calls us to live who would commit to following him. And the call is more than just to kind of believe in who he was and crack on with our normal lives. It's a call to something totally countercultural, an imitation of his life that will not just affect our um, attitudes, but our actions also. And, and what we read today, Jesus is going to spell out in no uncertain terms what he expects that will look like for each one of us if we choose to follow him. So John chapter 13 starts by saying this. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let me just pause there for a moment. When I was preparing for today and I started to read this passage, I have to be honest, I I almost didn't make it past these first two sentences. I was so overwhelmed by John's summing up statement of the life of Jesus. Actually, it led me just to pause and to worship him and to thank Jesus for who he is for a moment. You know, when John writes, Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go back to his father. Jesus is under no illusions that it was going to be as simple as just packing his bags, waving goodbye to his disciples and jumping on the back of a chariot that kind of whisked him back up into heaven. Now, Jesus knew that the hour had come which would involve a beating. It would involve a period of separation from his father that he hadn't experienced in all of eternity. It would involve um, a public humiliation and a death on a cross, which was horrific. He knew that the events that were just about to take place before he returned to his father, and yet knowing all that was imminent, John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What a statement. What, what a profound reflection he's able to make. Looking back on the life of Jesus and the time he got to spend with him, 
Jesus is God in human flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us, which, which means what Jesus was like and what he did helps us to understand more fully what God is like. And what John says in these first couple of verses is that he never wavered in living a life of love. You know, there is a durability to his love. It wasn't fickle, like here today, gone tomorrow, but it was a radical, constant, reliable love. Despite knowing what he was facing, it was a love that kept going, whatever the cost, right up until the end. You know, from the moment Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he loved them. When they failed to recognise who he was, he loved them. When they lacked faith, he loved them. When they bickered, bickered and argued with one another, he loved them. Knowing that one of them is just about to betray him, another is going to deny him, and actually all of them are going to abandon him when the soldiers come, he says he continued to love them to the end. And it was his love that leaves a lasting impression on John. And what overwhelmed me about this statement is that what is true for the first followers of Jesus is true for me today. And it's true for you. He loved me to the end. He loves you to the end. Knowing my failings, knowing my lack of faith, despite the times that I've denied him or haven't honoured him in the way that I should have, he continues to stick with me and love me to the end. It's one of the most incredible truths that you'll ever hear about Jesus and what he was like. His love is like nothing else you will ever experience. It never grows tired, never gives up. It's not dependent on how good you are. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that he's unwilling to do to keep you in his love. He will love you to the end. And deep down, every single one of us yearns to experience that kind of love. It's what everyone is searching for if they're, they're honest about it. And the good news of the gospel and, and what John is saying is that you can discover that kind of love in Jesus. Maybe you're sitting there watching this today. And if you're honest, that's what you need to hear today. You need to hear that Jesus will love you to the end. Never listen to the voices in your head that might tell you that, you know, he's given up on you or he dislikes you or that he's not committed to you. That's totally rubbish. Having loved those that were in the world, including you, he loved them to the end. And that's why we sing songs that say, all my life he has been faithful. All my life he's been so, so good with every breath that I'm able I'm going to sing of the goodness of God because I've been rescued by someone who will love me constantly, sacrificially to the end. John continues uh, in the passage. He says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he, had came, that he came from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothes, and wrapped a towel round his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
it's an extraordinary moment. It really is. John wants to put this into some kind of context by firstly reminding us who this Jesus is that's sitting on the ground washing filthy feet. How high his standing is. He says that God the Father had put all things under his power. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to a a church, he tries to explain the extent of this power. And he says, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, everything is under his power. You know, Paul's trying to get the, just the extent of what that means. Everything is under his power. And as such, he's higher than any ruler that's ever lived. There's no one that can rival his power. There's no one that can come anywhere close to the kind of authority that Jesus has. And so by the ordinary standards of this world, he should be served. That's how it works. That's how our our world operates. You know, we're watching The Crown on Netflix at the moment, which is a a brilliant drama about Queen Elizabeth II and and the royal family. But what you notice as you watch the programme is that she is pretty much all the time surrounded by servants. You know, people that are employed to wake her up in the morning, open her curtains, get her changed, tie her shoelaces, stand all day next to a door just in case she wants to come through it so they can open it. You know, make her meals, lay out the papers for her, uh, carry her bags, organise her diary, and on and on. The Queen employs over 1,000 servants. You know, there's one person that's sole job is just to polish her vases. You know, people who have power have servants who do things for them. That's how it works in this world. You know, we, we might not call them servants in our culture. We might call them, you know, staff, employees, an entourage, perhaps. But the general principle is that the more powerful you are, the more people you have that will do things for you. But Jesus totally contradicts the ordinary standards of this world. And instead of being served, he serves. From his height, he goes low. From his high standing, he he lowers himself to sit at people's feet. He wraps a servant's towel around his waist and he picks up a basin and he kneels before one of his disciples. He unlaces his sandal and gently lowers his foot foot into a basin and, and then begins to bathe the foot one by one, one grim foot after another. Jesus works his way down the row. You know, in Jesus's day, the washing of the feet was a task not just for any old servant, it was for the lowest of servants, the the servant at the bottom of the pile was expected to be the one on his hands and knees with a towel and a basin. But as Max Licardo, a, a Christian writer, beautifully puts it, in this case, the one with the towel and the basin is the king of the universe. Hands that 
shaped the stars now wash away filth. Fingers that formed mountains now massage toes. And the one before whom all nations will one day kneel now kneels before his disciples. It is beyond comprehension that someone as powerful and as holy as that would humble themselves to this extent. Hours before his own death, Jesus is still concerned about the needs of his followers. He knows what they're just about to do. He knows that when the soldiers come with their swords, these feet that he is currently washing are going to run off and leave him. He knows that one of them is going to bow their head and weep for not having the courage to stand next to him. But in those moments, as they stare down at their feet, he wants them to remember he loves them, that he came to wash away their shame, that he came to bow down low in order to raise them up. Or in his words, he came to serve not to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. But as well as demonstrating his love in bowing down low to serve them, he wants to also give them an example to follow. And John concludes the account by writing, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his cloth clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus says in in verse 15, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Yes, this passage is about the extent of his love for the disciples. and, And yes, it's an incredible picture of the king bowing down and serving. But that's not the end of the story. Now Jesus says, it's your go. In the same way that I have demonstrated a radical love to you, it's your go now as my followers to demonstrate a radical love to other people. I went low and now it's your turn to go low. I came and served and now it's your turn to serve and give your life for others. No servant is greater than his master, Jesus says, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's speaking very, very plainly to them. He's saying, in effect, you know, since you are not above me, you have no grounds to say that what I did and how I lived doesn't apply to what you should do and how you should live. If the king who has all power left his throne and stooped down that low to serve others, then each one of us, from whatever standing we think we may have, should bend the knee and be also serve other people. 
He wanted to impress on his followers his expectation for them to imitate his actions and his example because he was soon to return to the Father. And after that moment, they would have the high privilege of becoming his representatives, his ambassadors on earth. It's a huge privilege. A little further on in the passage, and Jesus puts it like this, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. Now he's saying that they're going to carry his words, his salvation, even his presence into the world on his behalf. And through them, people are going to discover who he is. And by giving this example to them, he wants to make it clear that the only way they can have any part in this huge privilege of being his representatives is by being the people who will gladly go and serve. To be people whose aim is to get underneath other people, to lift them up, not get over the top of other people and feel superior to them. It's not a call just for a few of his followers. You know, people who have more of a leaning towards compassion or social action or care for the poor. It's for everyone. Put simply, you can't be a follower of Jesus if you're not prepared to serve other people. As followers of Christ, you and I have a high calling, but the only people suitable to represent him are the lowly, the humble, the servant-like, the self-denying, which is a problem, right? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not naturally wired that way. Left to my own devices, I will lean towards wanting to be served, wanting to get myself into a position where other people do things for me, where other people you know, look up to me rather than down on me. That's the dominant culture that we live in, and it's easy for that to creep into our lives and creep into our churches even. I can become more concerned about being served and having my needs met, even in a church setting, than how I meet other people's needs. And the only way that we're going to break out of that kind of mentality that revolves about ourselves and living countercultural lives that might imitate Jesus's example is, is firstly by having our eyes open and our hearts melted with gratitude for what Jesus did for us. For us to understand the the lengths Jesus went to to demonstrate his love for us and the height that he came down from in order to serve us to the end. But, But even that, I don't think will be enough for us to sustain lives that are dedicated to serving others and lifting other people up. We need also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Without him in our lives, serving others will always just feel hard work. We might start well, but after a while we'll get worn out. We'll suffer compassion fatigue, start resenting people that we're serving that aren't really acknowledging what we're doing for them. To be his representatives, we must keep on coming back to the source and say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. 
Come and put your heart in me again. Help me to see people as you see them. Serve people like you serve them. In order to follow him and his example, we must keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we are willing to humble ourselves as individuals and as churches and allow the Holy Spirit to help us live lives that imitate Jesus and follow his example, then we'll have the great honour of representing Jesus and introducing people to the one who loves us to the end. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.